Welcome to Uncontained, episode 72. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and uh, this week I speak with the host of Indie Films Monthly, H.R. Cole. Yes, H.R. actually had a similar start as I did into uh, the hosting of shows and everything. It all started out with an independent and unsigned artist show that was called Indie Spotlight for him. Me, I had the indie show. And we kind of talk about those similarities throughout the show and also his philosophy on hosting. Like what a good host should definitely do and what not so good hosts end up doing So if you want to start your own show and host something, this would be a great one to listen to because HR has the hosting game down. Although he spends most of his time right now hanging out on the red carpet, interviewing stars and starlets alike, his real dream is to find himself as the host of a game show. I do think you will enjoy this episode, and uh, I do have to apologize up front for some of the audio quality in this episode due to the recording program that I recorded it through is a little iffy. Yes, it's a, it's a little crackly, a little digital interference. I tried to do a little work with it, but there wasn't much that I could do. So I apologize for some of the poor audio quality that you come across in this episode. But that being said, it's still, still a very interesting episode with H.R. Cole. How are you doing today, H.R., and welcome to Uncontained. Uh, glad to be here. I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, dude. Thanks for coming on. Especially, you know, this interview was set up short notice. I just want to give you credit for doing the quick turnaround and helping me out. And it turns out that we actually have a very similar start in the entertainment slash interviewing occupation. You had a show in your early days called Indie Spotlight Radio, and I had an indie show, which I interviewed indie bands and stuff like that. What was it that first got you interested in doing a show featuring independent artists and uh, also a sports talk, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, to kind of go back, yeah, I did have a sports um, radio show and an independent radio show called Indie Spotlight Radio. Um, what before to before I get to that, actually, to answer that question, what got me into hosting? I've actually always wanted to be a game show, to be honest with you, since the age of four. Okay. Yeah. So um, it's been ingrained in me. I'm that kid who grew up watching every single classic game show. This is before Game Show Network ever was even invented. I'm a kid who, at home, I'm watching Press Your Luck, Price is Right, Family Feud, you know, Old School Jeff, The Old School Daytime Wheel, Joker's Wild. You name a game show, I probably watched every single version of it. Okay. So for Halloween, did you have like the uh, checkered uh, jacket, kind of used car salesman, uh, game show host jacket? You know, it's funny. I never did dress up as a game show host for Halloween. However, I always had something that was in the form of a microphone. If my parents didn't buy me some type of microphone for Christmas or my birthday, because I had like the Michael Jackson Echo microphone that goes with the radio. I had the reverb microphone that you would speak into and your voice would echo for the next five minutes, annoying everybody in the room. But also, I grew up in the era of rabbit ear TVs. Yeah, where you actually had to get up and turn the channel and adjust the antenna. the, the back. So, of course, those antennas always broke. And (laughs) so when they break off, I take one of those and pull it up because then now it looks like one of Bob Barker's microphones from The Price is Right back in the day. <laughs> you know, and I'm at home with my friends or as a little kid with, you know, action figures and everything else. And I'm actually playing double dare in my room with everybody, answering, asking questions, making these physical challenges and all that type of stuff. So, and you're Mark Summers, right? And I'm Mark Summers, man. I tell everybody, on your mark, you think, oh, make sure you get past the line. You only have 30 seconds. I'm, I was, that was me. I was the weirdo kid who only certain people knew I was so into games with his pride for my family. And they actually, I had some family friends, quote unquote family friends, who would come over and said, oh, he's a $60 million man. And he's always saying he's going to give away $60 million. You can answer this question right. He's going to give away $50 million. You can answer this question right. So 
it's been there forever. And, <laughs> you know, so what got me actually physically into the whole thing was I have been working in warehousing for the game distribution company for five, at the time, going on six years, and I got laid off. And I, at the time, I was getting ready to approach my 30s. I was okay. actually about six months away from turning 30, and I just kind of had an epiphany and said, you know what? It's time to go after the dream. Go after the dream job. And so I went in, learned how to um, produce a radio show for a network, uh, did that for about two months, started doing my own show. Weekly went through from 15 minutes to a half an hour. Then I had an hour, and then I got nationally syndicated. And when I actually started working on actually doing this thing in terms of hosting, I said, you know what? I'm achieving my dream. And everybody knows somebody in terms of wanting to break out in music somehow, which is some the biggest, the hardest thing to do if you're not, yeah. not an actor, but music's one of the hardest things to break into. So if I have a chance to achieve my dream, why can't I do the same for somebody else in terms of being a new artist out there, some type of exposure, even if it's on my little late night show or early morning or early morning Saturday morning show. And so the show was originally called HR's Indie Spotlight Radio Show. And I, every single week I play a new artist. Uh, of course I have to play alongside some matrix so the radio station I was at. And it just morphed into new artists would get featured every single week to a point where my library was filled up with nothing more than different artists from not only in LA where I'm based out of, um, but then I started getting Chicago, then New York, then Miami, then I started going international, Canada, Puerto Rico, um, Philippines. Uh, we had wow. different artists all over. And so it morphed from me just calling it my show, you know, in terms of HR's radio, Indie Spotlight Radio Show to Indie Spotlight Radio. And then after a couple of years we turned in, we had a weekly top twenty countdown called the Indie Spotlight Countdown Weekly Top Twenty and there all these independent artists, friends and fans would start going to our website and voting for their favorite artists. And it just kinda just blew up for a little thing for a little bit and so we were good. We were basically reaching up towards like about two point five million listeners across four different stations. Yeah. Wow. You know, um, our good friend, like one, and it's, you know, people tend to say friends in this industry as a blatant, as like a facetious phrase, but <laughs> I made I made a really good friend in a in a producer, an executive producer um, named Mikey J, who, who owns KGP Emerge Radio. It's an online radio station. Okay. And he created an award show called the Artists and Music Awards, and. It allowed me to actually transition to going from just being a radio host to trying to be on camera. And I would go out and do some red carpets for his event, and I got syndicated on his station. He was the first one. And his award show gave way to lots of different artists on top of his station. You know, like names like uh, Megan Trainer, Ed Sheeran, Bruno. On, okay. my, on my show, I did Janae Aiko and a couple of others before they actually really blew up to where they're at. And He's still doing it, even though most of it has come out of his own pocket, just to give artists a chance to get sick, to get heard, and to get seen on some live events. And that's exactly where I was coming from. So we built a good working relationship, and I can honestly say that him, artists like Peter Rose, other directors I've met, like Amy Campione, um, Daniel uh, Daniel Hansen, and other people, they they've all been there to just support each other, but to support all of these new acts out there. So it's great to find like-minded people, and that's where everything just kind of grew. It's important. You need more people like that out there that are willing to give somebody a chance to spotlight their skills as, uh, you know, as they try to stand out from like all these other bands right. and you rarely ever have like when you're getting started out, somebody approaches you for a interview or whatever you're, they're normally not going to try to turn you down. <laughs> so it's right. like a pretty yeah. safe bet to get started anyway. Exactly. Cause we give them a chance to, you know, at least get themselves promoted somehow. And most times it's kind of hard because when we grew up is more that industry, it's who you know. You have to know somebody somewhere to even get in. 
Yes. And the way the medium has completely changed, you know, before even social media blew up to where it was, when online radio was still in its infancy, this, it was like a sense of when bands back in the day used to sell um, mixtapes out of the trunk. And I'm not talking about mixing, but like actual mixed tapes <laughs> yes. of their music. And this was more of a new avenue for them. And so for them to now have a publication, an outlet, a station saying, hey, here's a chance for you to get yourself out there so you can hopefully move to the next level and become be on a mainstream label or if you're saying in the bank you still get mainstream exposure because you've worked your way up why not give them a chance because we, there's tons of talent out there that really know what they're doing whether they're in rock pop hip-hop r&b country edm like they know exactly what they're doing but then we're forced to what some of the labels or station radio stations say that they have to listen to like right now, mumble rap is one of the worst things I think I, on a personal level I can't stand. But there's tons of, you know, I can't stand it. But So I'm really hard when it comes to hip-hop artists who used to um, promote to my show. Like I was good with everybody. R&B, hip-hop, I came really hard on because I get tired of people making lyrics about stuff that's not even their truth. Like why are you rapping or singing about monies, cars, and bitches when you are just starting out Yes, you've probably gone to a club, but you don't have that much money. You're renting that car, and the only, you know, quote-unquote bitches for the lack of a better term that you have on your thing, they're just trying to get seen, too. And you guys haven't done anything, so there's no local content behind anything you're saying, because you sound like 55 other people who just came right before you. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you on that, and it's like... the. Other style of rap that I really don't like to kind of goes hand in hand with what you were saying is the what I call the bling bling rap rapping about Bentleys, Rolexes and all that crap. I'd rather like hear something creative like one of my favorite rap groups was Outkast. Oh, yeah. See, they were very unique, but they spoke to what they were into. It's not just what they wanted to achieve, but, you know, they went from rapping about what was going on down south to then they became more artistic American radio. Yeah, and I think they literally thought they were aliens on one of their (laughs) ATLian CD. Uh, (laughs) Or at least Andre, at least Andre. Yeah, after a while, they they kind of went out there. But the same thing is, they're still artists. You can see that no matter what, they're out there. And the problem I have with lots of artists, no matter what genre they're in, it's kind of hard to, you know, see what type of creative, you know, bone they truly have because they listen to only the genre that they're in. Yes. But if you realize all these other artists who have made it, who are out there, they actually listen, they're, they have a very eclectic ear because they're listening to everybody. You know, let's, let's take, I'll, let's go back to rap for just for the simple sake of it. I remember okay. about maybe 10 years ago, the game, the game was asked, what does he have in his, in his CD player and you know, in his car at the moment? That man was rock and cold play, you know? Yeah. And you, you get you listen to all these other um, you know, producers who mix all these types of records, they're listening to everybody. They're playing the piano. They're not just using a drum machine. They're playing, you know, the guitar. They're actually listening to rock bands. They're listening to this. How many tracks have we heard from all these different artists that sampling older school like older anthems from different genres? But then you get but then you get all the kids nowadays, all they do is just listen to the artists that they love in the genre that they're in, and then they sound just like those artists. Yes, and I encourage people to go back and look at what... Um, I actually heard this advice from one of my musician friends. He was like, go back, see who you are fans of. See who they are fans of, who they listen to yeah. going into, and listen to that, and then like kind of branch back, kind of like some reverse like musical family tree, and kind of study those guys. Yes, exactly. If you don't know where the history of the music that you're emulating came from, all you're doing is just becoming not even a carbon copy, becoming a bad second, third, fourth version of the, of the same thing. That's all. Yeah. Out there. And that's not just for music either. Like me in interviewing and hosting and stuff like that, I I study other other broadcasters. Like one of the people or a couple of people that I don't try to necessarily copy but emulate their conversational style, which I really dig, is like Chris Hardwick and Mark Marin. Like they both have separate things that kinda, you know, 
kind of speak to me and make interviews interesting to listen to. Yeah, I mean, that's very, that's actually really true. You know, I believe that um, in terms of, you're always going to have somebody who inspires you, you know, to a degree. I, yeah. I've always been in the mindset in terms of being as a host, you know, and you can probably agree or disagree with this, but as a host, it's not about you. You know, it may be your it may be your show, but it's always about the subject matter or the guests that you bring on because you're there to shine the light on who's there because they're there coming to you to talk about everything else. You're basically an on screen, on camera, or behind the board, you know, on the mic director for what's going on because it's all about who you're bringing on. Because if you can, if it's just you by yourself, you know, ranting raving, okay, yes, the show is about you. But if your show is a talk show and you're going to have guests, if you're, and this goes back with me and the whole game show host thing, like, if you're a game show host, it's not about you. It's about the contestant. It's about the celebrity that you bring on. It's about the new artist. It's about their music. It's about their art. It's about the next project. It's not about the host. So that's one thing that kind of irks me nowadays with all of these new, you know, quote-unquote hosts that are on a red carpet or, you know, trying to produce a show, like, great, you created a show. But if you yeah. realize, if you're trying to be a host, an MC, it's not about you. It's not about how wild you can be or anything like that. You can be a very boisterous, you know, charismatic person, but if, it's, if people are coming to watch a show that has contestants or has guests, they don't want to hear you ranting and raving about what you had for lunch every single day interrupting your guests all the time. That's true, man. I agree, I agree with you. I think it's kind of like, say, a 2080 or 1090 rule because it has to be just a little bit, I think, about the host in oh, some yeah. way because they bring something to it. Oh, yeah, because you should control flavor in Exactly, because you can have a you know, person just reading lines and just coming off like a robot. Definitely not that. If the host doesn't project themselves into it some, that's when you get the person asking the same recycled questions that you hear and everything else. Exactly. Now, talking about asking questions to to your guests, it seems like what what I've seen so far, at least a lot shorter interviews than what I'm used to doing for my podcast. Now, when you have like the long form conversation like this, you can get deep into all sorts of things. You can like start talking something about like what happened in your childhood, like never going trick or treating as a game show host right. or something like that. <laughs> but, and that's what we used to do back on the radio shows and the longer form shows, but for the current show and the film monthly, it's a little bit more, um, more niche in a sense, more catered to yeah. a specific topic. Now, do you have a certain method or philosophy towards interviewing? Obviously, besides that, it's about them to help you ask maybe little deeper questions or not this exact same question that everybody in the media circuit has asked them before. Well, for the sake of um, Indie Films Monthly, that show, it's about independent films, shorts, web series, and... Um, of course, I'll talk more about that a little later. Um, but it's about these projects, and we get a chance to watch them ahead of time and go through the press kits. And as opposed to when people go and promote their stuff across different outlets, they may see a quick trailer, they may get some notes from the PR person who's handling the, the artists or the guests or whatnot. We, since we get a chance to look, watch these, these films, these shorts, these new web series, before they come on, it allows us to start asking more in-depth questions about the project. Okay. And, and on top of that, you know, we, ahead of time, we like to talk to the artists, not before they come on, but we're already starting uh, back and forth with, you know, email, email chains with whether it's the representative or it's the artists themselves coming on. There's already some type of pre-established relationship. So when they come on, and they're actually physically in front of us, we just tell them, hey, relax. We're very conversational. You know, it's not the whole, hey, how's it going? What you doing? What's your project all about? Tell us, hey. 
Hey, Aaron, tell us, your, your show's called Uncontained. Could you tell us about the project? We don't put on that voice, basically. We don't put on Mr. Television, Mr. You know, if we're doing news for a set, it's not that whole, this is Walter Cronkite, and we're here to talk to you just like this in this Really yeah, what the hell is it with the news voice? Every like news person has the same it, damn voice. I, I call like, it the Walter Cronkite syndrome. Walter Cronkite. Man, and for those who, some of your younger viewers or listeners who may not know who Walter Cronkite is, he was basically the man. The man when it came to news broadcast, he was like the first national, you know, news, you know, news broadcaster, and his voice carried with so much base, base, and it had a cadence. That seemed like all of these other news outlets started following that, and then it became a thing that was being taught for broadcast journalism. They taught you when you start doing on-camera work, you have to talk with certain inflections. When you talk to somebody, make sure your voice goes up and then comes down when you want to make a point at the end. Yes. And everybody started following that tone, so now you see broadcasters all over the world talking like that. And then, of course, then you start getting cultural differences, but everybody tends to follow that that whole thing, and I just call it the Walter Cronkite syndrome. And it's for news broadcast, that's it works, you know. And, and I got this a certain form of assertiveness that shows the viewing public that hey, we are here to deliver something straight to you. Just to jump back into the uh, Walter Cronkite syndrome, I think a lot of the female reporters have kind of a Barbara Wawa uh syndrome too because they're a little nasalier yeah i go back and forth between baba baba wallas and connie chung because those were the two big ones in the 80s who really came out you know and connie chung had that more female version of walter crockett because she was trying to step away from from barbara walters but then baba wallas man you you take me back to watching old school snl man Yes, yes. So do you go into the interview with kind of a set list of questions that you want to ask that you got from watching the film, or do you just kind of let things flow naturally? It's a little combination of both, actually, because sometimes we are busy and we don't get a chance to watch everything. And so um, myself and my um, two fellow hosts, um, Jesse Mogul and Gio Washington, we before before I actually started doing the show, we actually all were in the same host training course together. Um, you know, believe it or not. And so there's a host training course. There's actually tons of different, just like how they have acting classes. There's host training classes from different um, people. Our, the one that we were part of is no longer going on, but it was called breaking to TV. And that was actually created by Jonathan, Jonathan Novak. He is a meteorologist for ABC out here in LA. Okay. And, and he's actually mainly like the main one for the KDOC broadcast that they have down at LC. But he actually only trained us, and that's where we all met. Um, and there's a number of people who've gone through that, but there's other coaches out there who are more on the casting director side because they want to look at, you know, some people do it because they want to find um, clients. And so they put out classes and they, and they try to build a database from there. Others are just casting records, so they just say this is what they're looking for. Jonathan was actually an actual working host and meteorologist. Because apart from being a weatherman for ABC, he's also a host on the Tennis Channel. He was a host for ABC's On the Red Carpet series. So he's actually a working host. So we got more of a sense directly from a working individual as opposed to someone who's trying to cast the individual. With our training from there, I had already had my radio show, and at the time I was doing that training, um, I wound up um, getting a contract with a YouTube channel, um, and so I already had some stuff going, and I had that sports talk show called Sports Speak. Um, I got a shout out to my boy Todd Bogazar down at OC down there. That was my partner down, partner crime on that series. Um, so Jesse Mobile actually came and joined us for Sports Speak, and then started working with me closely in terms of music side of things. Gio, we um, were in, in class, and she came and joined us at the start when we started creating Independent Monthly. Okay. So when it came down to it, we all actually knew how to ask questions on the fly. And so sometimes we'll listen to our guests, and we're able to get great follow-ups because we're actually paying attention to them, as opposed to just asking a generic, what's the project about? Who'd you work with? How was it? Um, so we Ask on the fly is one thing, but then other times, since we have 
all the um, stuff from the press kits and watching the films and the projects ahead of time, we get to ask more in-depth stuff from the film. But to end all of our interviews, we have something that we pen called our aftershock question. And so we kind of end all of our interviews with that question. And you know, you can tell by watching the interviews that you are actually listening to them because you can look in some some uh, hosts' eyes and just see their eyes rolling through what they're gonna say next. Right. And like watching you on uh, on uh, Indie Film Monthly, you know, I, I saw you actually sitting there processing what the founder of Holly Shorts Film Festival uh, was actually saying to you. Yeah. So, and you coming up with questions from what he was saying. So I give you props on that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I got to give a big shout out to Theo Dumont, um, Daniel Soul, and Nicole Castro. Those are the three people who basically run the Holly Schultz Film Festival. They're the ones who we actually partnered with for doing the show Indie Monthly. And okay. Yeah. They have a monthly um, screener for their film festival every month at the TCL Chinese Theater in Hollywood. And then they have their yearly film festival which goes 10 days um and so we were covering them for two years just doing the regular red carpet as everybody else would and i actually had the show idea in mind for a little bit after i had did my whole create my treatment um registering it and you know and all that type of stuff i actually brought it to them to theo and daniel and they liked the idea and they were actually telling me that they were getting ready to at the time launch an online network it was kind of like and sense a Netflix for independent film. So that's kind of how the ball got rolling on how Indie Monthly got started. So Theo, okay. the Theo our very first interview, we probably we used it for season two, but we have another interview with him for season one. Um, kind of talk about, at the time, Holly Shorts was just turning into a second decade. It was season of year 11 for Holly Shorts. And last year's year 12 now, we're into year 13. Um, with the, I mean, this is our fourth year working with Polish Shorts, so just got to give a big shout out to the whole team over there. All right, great, great. Yeah, it sounds like they they have some interesting things going on. You said they're going to be like uh, like a Netflix for indie films. Yeah, they, the BitPix channel. That's actually where my show, um, where Indie Films Monthly is currently on. You get all the full episodes of the show over there. Um, okay. The full, you know, thirty minute, you know, that you know broadcast type of show on there and in a sense lots of the submit um the people submitted to um the festival to uh, poly shorts will uh, if they don't have any other contracts or competing clauses they can actually put their stuff on um, bitpix and from web series to documentaries to to short films to a couple of features it's a way for them to put themselves out there and virtually like a Netflix in a sense for the independent world. And so our show is one of the first original series that's on there. Okay. That's really cool. And if you give me the link to that, I will uh, definitely include that in the show notes so people can go check that out and see full episodes. Most definitely. And, um, well, CBitPix is a subscription base, so that's why we tend to put some of the stuff on the YouTube channel as well. Okay. Uh, you know, so, but Bitpix, it does give you a chance to see some great shorts, web series, films, and a whole bunch of just different stuff. And so you can find it at bitpixtv.com. Of course, I'll give Aaron the link and everything, but bitpixtv.com. Okay, bitpixtv.com. It is a pay service, but check it out. It might be interesting to see. So, cool. well, if you can't get um, episodes there, of course you can catch some, you know, some of the freebies on our YouTube channel. Virtually, you know, it's always everything's always under indie spotlight for us. All right, all right. I got a couple questions for you before I roll into uh, my final questions. Imagine right. that an interview where I'm asking you questions. That's uh, crazy. <laughs> I know. I just blew my mind right there. Like, what is this whole world coming to? <laughs> you can't fucking do that. I was like inquisitive. I, I've just never dealt with this type of nature before. <laughs> so, do you have any plans on actually becoming a game host? Oh yeah, that's definitely you know that's the goal. That the the main goal is for me to always become a game show host. But even if I if not if but even when I reach that goal, I'm still going to be doing these shows in the indie in the indie world because everybody there's always going to be new artists out there in every form, whether it's music, whether it's film, whether it's web, whether it's 
actual um, media in terms of paint and all that, there's always going to be new stuff out there and you independent artists who need some type of platform. So that's going to stay near and dear to my heart. But in terms of being a game show, that's been the goal. I actually have three game shows that I've already written and drafted and registered. You know, like so you've created three game shows. I've created three. You know, the, the whole concept is already registered with the writer's field and copyrighted and all that. So like, I'm just waiting for that opportunity where you have a good meeting, find a connection, you know, keep knocking down doors until I get those yeah. out there. You know, but yeah, I have from a kids game show to more of a adult friend, um, friendly game show to the big, the big money game shows for the, the whole family can watch. You know, that, that's been me. And if I had, had a chance to bring some game shows back, I would. All right. Since your shows are copywritten, do you care to go into what they are? Uh, well, not too much. No, because no matter what, the content can still go out there. But let's put it this way. There, in terms of, we talked about Double Deer earlier. I have one that is inspired by shows for those of us who grew up during the Nickelodeon generation. I have shows inspired by Double Deer and Legends of the Hidden Temple. That's more of a new, but more of a new audience. And I guess if you want, you can, you can add, you can put Funhouse into that whole, you know, inspiration. So not, not direct bites, but inspiration. Because if I said, if I could bring a game show back, Double Dare's one of my first. Okay, that was going to be one of my questions. What was, like, your favorite game show? Oh, well, I, I got, if I went through a list, that's a whole other show. Because we can go into detail about each one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> that, okay. That's a really deep inside of me. But, in, I mean, if I can go quick, I can just say, in terms of bringing a show back to host, it'd be, game, it'd be Double Dare... Press Your Luck, Card Sharks, or Scrabble. Okay. Those are my top four to bring back to host. I give the same respect to and Harvey took a while to grow up to be a host as well. And but yes. you get yeah. And this kind of goes back to my whole game show thing. This is the game show narrative. You know, it's not like the game show thing, but when Steve Harvey took over for Feud. It seemed like after afterwards, because he did such a great job in terms of getting the ratings back, especially with the whole campaign, the YouTube campaign before this season, this first season even started, you you got a sense that he really did take it back to the era of Richard Dawson. It was about making these ten people who are normally not used to being on stage in front of people on camera make them seem likable, laughable, lovable. And have fun with them. Whether it's the way he does his humor, Richard did quick quips, you know. But every host yeah. between, and I'll even I'll even include um, Ray Combs in this just a little bit. But every host between Richard to Steve has always done their own shtick. Yeah, like Louie. Yeah, and see, Louie destroyed Pete. Louie's version of Pete was the was the worst because they got rid of the theme song. He said he said this in an interview, and I remember this, back in 1998, when he first, right before he took over, when they announced him as Bring the Show Back after a four-year hiatus. He said he didn't like the old, you know, the old Bill McCoy Western thing. He didn't like the old stand-up in the, in the backdrop as the family portrait. He thought that was stupid, so he decided to make sure they got rid of it. So that's why they wound up having those small little itty bitty plasma TVs that have their names on it. The big board is now on a projector. It's not even a physical board or even a monitor that shows anything. It's it's literally on a you know white screen projector. If you notice when he came out, the wall lifted up and then came back down. And he was always about him trying to do his stand-up jokes, his life of Louie. It was all about his shtick. Since you know, this version of Family Feud has come back and has come back with a guy who took it back to how the original host had it, making the 10 people the stars because Steve Harvey had his host chops beforehand with his big time show, but before that, doing Showtime at the Apollo for nearly 10 years. Yeah, and as Louis proved, not all stand-up comics are good at hosting, but exactly. he definitely does use a lot of his um, his stand-up skills hosting and looks like he's having a blast doing it, and I think that's a huge part of his success. Right, you know, the cool thing is, like, we know that, you know, he's a stand-up comedian, but at the same time, if you notice now he's hosting all over the place, you know, because you can actually see him. He is a comic host, but he's a host. He still does present 
the people on stage and make them the star, but then he puts his personality in there, you know. Exactly, but back to that 80-20 rule. Exactly, yeah, exactly. People, you got people who've been in the game, who've been in game shows, like Todd Newton is a game show host. He's, he's like the one of the last bastions of what an old-school game show host was from, like, the Barker, the Wink Martindale, the Molly Hall era. Um, Todd Newton had hosted a show on game show network called Hollywood Showdown, and then he went on to host um, the 2000 version of the all-new Press of Luck with Whammy that was on Game Show Network. And then he hosted Family Game Night, which he won an Emmy for for a few, for a few years. And now I think he's hosting a lot of Prices Right Live around the country. Um, but he, as a game show host, he does make sure that the contestant has fun and is a star. And he puts his clips in there, but he's not too overbearing. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing right there, man, that you have the contestants on there having fun that makes people at home want to watch. I think that's that's huge. What advice would you have to somebody who is looking to become a host? I'd say the first thing in terms of if you want to become a host, you have to realize that if you're going to become a host – you have to be comfortable being able to watch yourself because you have to be able to study yourself. And the reason why I say that is it's like hearing yourself on a, on a recording for the very first time. You're not used to hearing your own voice. <laughs> you're not used to watching yourself in your mannerisms because you're all, it's, you're, you're, when you're in life, you're the camera. You're looking outward, and everything's broadcast back to you to your own head, but you don't see yourself. So you have to be able to study your, and to be able to watch yourself so you can learn what to do and what not to do. But the biggest thing, first and foremost, you got to get training. You know, it, you can have the personality. It's great to have the personality because you need to have personality. If you come off completely robotic or monotone, you're going to sound... You know, just like, in a sense, for lack of a better term, we were talking about earlier, the Walter Cronkite syndrome. You're going to sound like a robot in, to a degree. Yes. But if you get proper training, I've seen proper training in terms of what it takes to be a successful host, that can help you out a whole lot. And you don't have to do just one. You can go to multiple source sources. If you find some of that from casting directors, great, because they'll tell you what you know producers are looking for. But then if you go to somebody who actually is working in as a host, I think you're going to get a lot more better sense because you're going to give you like first-hand on-the-field knowledge and experience while it is. So from where to hold the mic, where to look into the camera, mic position, hand positions, if you're not using mic, how to use your hands. There's the biggest thing that I learned, which um, too many people do, and we call that in our class vagina hands. Vagina? Well, how... how Explain the vagina hands. Yeah, the vagina hands basically is when people, you know how you see people giving speeches on TV and they try to seem as if they're being assertive by just touching all of your fingertips together. <laughs> and you notice it's always down right there at the at the pelvic region. And so if you okay. look at what the shape of that is and you put it right there in that area, there you go. It's either down there or up kind of by their face, kind of like the, uh, you know, praying hands. Yeah, like see, that, that, that's, so the, that's the They either have the vagina, and their, vagina hands in their face or the vagina right. hands but in the their face. Yeah, exactly. You know, the thing is, you, gotta, you have to seem, you have to appear natural on camera because that's the best way you're going to connect. It doesn't matter if you're the loudest, most charismatic, boisterous person who's screaming at the top of your lungs because that's the type of personality you have, you know, but... If you are if you're talking, no one's hands naturally go and just touch at the fingertips when you're resting your hand. <laughs> so when you're doing that, you're trying to convey attention, convey a sense of authority, which you don't need to as a host because nothing about that's natural. It's actually a little off-putting because you're like, okay, are you giving a speech? Are you about to, you know, like what are you doing? Are you an evil um, henchman? Are you one of you know, Bond villains, henchmen, or something like that. Yes. Like, is, is there's nothing natural about that? When we That's actually hands, been doing it the whole show. You see, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? The thing is, when you're on, when you're on um, radio and podcasts, 
and you're doing that, who knows where your mind's at? (laughs) 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 Because no one can actually see what you're doing. (laughs) True. But but it's just something, it's like you have to have a natural sense about yourself. And so when you're talking, if you talk with your hands, great, but you have to know how to talk with your hands. You have to know how to use your mannerisms. You have to know where you have where you're positioned on camera, where you're positioned within an interview. You have to know how to talk to the person in the interview, you know, in terms of when to cut them off if they're ranting and raving, which I know I've done a couple of times during this interview. <laughs> you know, but I really yeah. like game shows. I'll give you that. Uh, yeah, totally. I'm a big game show player when it comes to that. But, you know, but there's, you just have to know how to actually know when to give, when to take, and also know the fact that you're controlling this interview. It's not your guest interview. It's your interview with this guest. Yes. So, you're, so if you let them take over, you lost control. So now you've lost credibility. And and lots of stuff I've you know I could definitely attest to learning from you know not only Jonathan Novak but from other hosts and then getting feedback myself from people who hired me. You know, so yeah. you know, like it's you want to get feedback. You want to go ahead and put yourself out there. So training is one of the biggest things I would say. You have to get yourself some some on camera training and then. Don't expect to get hired right away. So on-camera training and no vagina hands. Yeah. And that's <laughs> but, a good start. Yeah, it's a good start. <laughs> and, then, and then after that, you know, link link up with people. Where are you going via LinkedIn, join Facebook groups? I mean, we met via a Facebook group, you know. Um, yes. And I mean, shout out to Kids LA. Got to give a shout out to our today over there. Yeah. Yes, and uh, I I love that group, our yeah. Gigs at LA group. I've gotten a lot of uh, guests on the show from there, and I even had some guests on the show that were in that group before I knew about that group. So and he, and he, and that's that's just the thing too. You have to get out there and network with people, and don't just network facetiously. Just like have a card and give twenty thousand cards to twenty thousand people because not everybody's going to keep your card. When they they say to network, learn to network, learn to get out there and and talk and meet people and learn about what they're doing and what's going on in the industry and how you may help. Because although I've worked, my goal has always been to be a game show host and I've been working as a host for six now going on seven, seven years. At the same time, I've gone on to now become a producer and a videographer and an editor because I've had to learn to put my own stuff out there, and I've had to learn to get out. Because you're not going to get hired right away. You can get your headshots, you can, you know, but you have to build a resume. And if you don't get hired, build your own resume. Now, of course, with social media, we can create our own show, we can create our own podcast, we can create our own web series, we can create our own films and projects. So I've got a chance to work with radio stations, with um, labels. And as a videographer, like because I said, I started thinking as hosting, but I had to film all my own stuff and edit all my own stuff and build my own reels. So I wanted to be coming an interviewer and a videographer on the Soul Train cruise last year. You know, that's oh, wow. like, I grew up watching Soul Train. So the, the fact that I got a chance to work with alongside BG and Centric and, um, and interview all these passengers and, and film all these concerts that are going off, like Sheila E., Bill Bellamy. Billy Ocean, the Temptations, the you know, and all these old um, old acts who rock the Soul Train stage. It's like you know, you never know where your career is going to take you, but you never know who's going to who you're going to meet that may actually get you to that end goal. And I've met tons of people along the way to help me build my resume, and I've gotten more experience and been able to go out there and land more gigs because of it. Right on, man. Right on. So you've kind of already answered part of this, but what do you do to promote yourself along with networking? Well, yeah, with networking, you know, networking is one thing, but then to expand on the word networking, like you have social networking, that's been, that's the biggest thing right now for anything, whether um, it's via websites, um, blogs, um, trying to get in um, as a featured contributor somewhere, um, radio stations, and then, of course, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, you know, just using all these different forms of networking to just put yourself out there. And, of course, whenever you get a guest on there, you know, ask them to promote. Of course, they're going to be on your show, so they want to promote themselves. But when you start building that relationship, they're genuinely going to go ahead and start liking and sharing your stuff out there because you are there to support them. And 
the biggest thing I would say for any um, host who has their own series, once you get a guest on your show, keep the relationship going because you never know when the next time they may want to come back and do some more promoting and that next thing that they do is that thing that blew up and you were there from the very beginning and they're going to actually always appreciate you. Some people won't, some people will, some people won't, you know, but at the same time, they're going to be out there like, hey, I got my start here. You will always get to us and so on and so forth. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I always try to uh, keep an eye out for when my guests have something new coming out. I always try to, you know, give them a little bit of a blast on uh, social media about it, like spread the word a little bit, try to help promote what they have going on since they came on and tried to help uh, help promote what I'm doing. You know, and just kind of uh, one hand washes the other thing. Exactly. One hand washes the other. It's a mutual beneficial benefit to all that. I, I mean, I can probably guess because of our, our background at the same when we did the indie show and I was doing indie spotlight radio and we had all these artists that we came that came on our shows and we would interview them, but at the same time when they had another project going down the line, I bet you promoted them all the time. And then they had something new and they came right back to you to say, Hey, we have this we have this new track coming on, can you play it? And because there was already a pre established relationship that both sides were mutually actually promoting each other, it just kind of fit. So when the next thing came on, you were, you were just like, Hey, of course. Definitely. I've had that happen, even already happen on this podcast, uh, like people with movies coming out and stuff that I've talked to before on a different thing. So, yes, keep in contact with your past guests. That is great, great advice right there. So what would you say would be one of the highlights of your career? Not necessarily the highlight, but a highlight it could be one of your interviews or it could be something that's not related to the interviews as well um i have a few that stand out in my head just because i got a chance to meet them and interview them um i kind of go for a sense of like building up um i'd say four in particular stand in my head very quickly okay one is um meeting victor orlando victor orlando um is a world-class percussionist who used to perform with the Gap Band back in the day, in the 70s and 80s. And through Mike, through my friend who I told you about earlier, Mikey J, through his award show, um, I think um, Victor would get an award or get a Lifetime Achievement Award. That's when I met him. That was actually my very first red carpet ever. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was actually late to the carpet. Everything that could go <laughs> wrong that day went wrong. It was one of those days. It's the way it always happens. Oh, yeah. Late to the carpet. Camera equipment was going wonky. Um, our our mic cords weren't working. Um, and by the time we got there, the carpet was completely done. So when I got there, apologized completely. Met Mikey J for the first time. Met who was running the PR. And what happened next was amazing. They actually said, "Oh, we're glad you actually were able to make it. Everyone else has come through, but we would love for you to go ahead and interview such and such and such and such and such and such." And they're bringing people back who just went through the art already. So now, this is after Whiskey and Bobo now at the time, the, the, all the audio engineers from Whiskey are actually helping us out, giving us mic adapters, giving us extra long cables, um, helping us with the camera so it's working. And then awesome. I'm interviewing all these new artists and some of these are established artists. Um, and a young lady um, who was with Victor, um, Janique um, Harris, who she's also another singer, she actually says, you need to talk to this young man, apparently. And I turned around, and my girlfriend at the time um, was with me. She said, I think you, you, they want to talk to you. And I saw this guy in this loud, colorful, it definitely looked like he was a star in the 70s, 80s type of jacket. And the okay. shoes, or shoes were matching shiny. I looked over, and I was like, that man looks familiar. And he had this brother, but he had the slick back, back hair, you know, all, you know, gelled up. And he says his name is Victor Orlando, and he's performing in the Gap Band. I'm like, oh my damn, we used to play your songs in the band in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh man. And we had a great interview, and for the rest of the night, I actually had that whole red carpet to myself. So all of these past artists are now coming through, and I'm interviewing everybody, so I want to be in a great one. And Victor I want, and I want to become a really, truly good friend. He, I thought that he didn't live too far from me. Um, 
and I helped him out with his Hall of Fame video for another award show which he was receiving. Um, and we've just always been cool. We haven't talked in a while, but we still, at least via social media now, we still keep in touch somehow. But he was one person who stood out because it was like, I grew up listening and playing your music and now I get to interview you. But um, Aisha Tyler was another one. She was hosting the the Gracie Awards for the Alliance for Women and Media Foundation because I've seen her since Talk Suit and The Fifth Wheel and then now she's on The yeah. Talk and Archer. It was a funny interview and that same night I met um, Al Michaels and interviewed him. He's like growing up listening to Al Michaels. Al know. Michaels from Monday Night Football? Yes. Okay, alright. Because Michelle Tafoya was getting a, a, a combination at the same award show so I got a chance to interview him but in terms of going back to my game show geekdom, I got a chance to meet and interview Wink Martindale, Mr. Game Show. Oh, wow. Mr. Game Show himself. Um, this was at the 23rd LA Music Awards slash 7th Annual Hall of Fame Awards, which was like a Hollywood um, film, actors, media, something award show. And I was a backstage host. And I got, you know, like, Wink Martindale was receiving the Hall of Fame award. And so his wife introduced me. And before we did the interview, I said, hey, I'm a big, big fan. I did my geek film right then and there. I said, I grew up watching every single show and went into the interview on the red carpet. And then we did another interview backstage after we received the award. And we're just going off of all the shows, um, what he did, what was some of his favorite guests, some of his favorite um, contestants. But of course, being the geek I am, I knew that that man started off in music. So I asked him oh, to yeah. start in terms of, yeah, Wade Martindale was a, was a young singer before he became a TV host. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. So the man actually had a few records before he did it, before he actually went to hosting one as a very young man. So I asked him about, you know, transitioning from music and into radio and then into hosting. And then, of course, we talked about Tic Tac Go. And of course, I told him one of my favorite shows, apart from, you know, that one, because you know, he said that was one of his favorite shows he ever hosted, but one of my favorites that he ever did was High Rollers. Which, okay. Yeah, which um, originally was hosted by Alex Trebek in the 70s. But he did the 80s version, because I'm an 80s baby. I'm like, I'm three months younger than MTV. <laughs> I, think, I think we're about the same age as well. So yeah. um, was he a crooner type singer or what type of uh singer was he then we'll move on to the next question here. uh he was more of a crooner this was like i think this was the 40s or 50s 50s and did he go by wink still that um i think he did i'm not sure i'm not sure if he had like a little i think he went by wink because he was i think the nickname came because he was always he always had a wink in his eye or something like that <laughs> I, I i know it's a particular reason why he has that nickname but i think he did go by wink back then Okay. All right. So my next question for you is what do you want your audience to remember about you or not necessarily remember about you when, when they see you host a show, what do you want their audience to take away? Hmm. Well, I guess I'm being me, you know, to the most part in terms of I'm going out there and trying to have a conversation with everybody who's coming on, you know, it's that, Yes, there's a certain cadence as you know, host that we tend to follow, and because it's kind of like a comfort norm for everybody, kind of harking back to the Walter Cronkite thing for news people. But I want people to, when they watch and or listen to me, to know that hey, I'm just talking and having a conversation. I'm not really going out there trying to act as if I am the end all be all. Like I have all this excess knowledge about everything independent where it's film music or otherwise no i'm here to find out what's going on with these people and share it with okay. everybody at home so you guys can get a chance to know who is who you out there whether like i said whether you're a filmmaker an actor a singer um a painter an, an independent entrepreneur just let you know that hey there's lots of things out there and i hope that they had a good time you know just having just enjoying this conversation now, on the game show aspect of things, I want them, when that when those shows come my way, to know that, hey, this is a host who genuinely cheers for the contestants and wants them to win. But make sure that you actually compete to win. But yes. I want them to actually genuinely win because the whole idea is 
you're going to compete on something. This, this is how litigation shows. You're going to you compete in a show and you're taking time out of your own daily life to go out and have some fun and potentially change your life for the better, whether it's a small yeah. prize or a big prize. But no matter what, everybody always ends up having fun, except for those huge, serious, you know, quiz shows and stuff like that. But most of all the other shows, everybody's having a good old time. And I think that's one, what really drew me in as a kid from watching Practice Right, Let's Make a Deal, Double Dare, Whammy. Even when we lost, we saw that there was a elation in everybody's eye. They were happy no matter what, because they had a good time. And so I just want people to watch and have a good time. Yeah, yeah. So to me, it sounds kind of like you want people to take away one, don't let your ego get in the way of who you're interviewing. Yeah. Let them shine. You kind of step back and stay. And also, you want to make sure that, you know, everybody has a good time in the interview. Yeah. I mean, you come in, you know, it's one thing to just go out and put your personality. I try to put my personality out there. I'm a corny guy. You know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not coming off as if I'm a suave ladies man. I'm not going to come off as if, you know, I'm a, I'm a rough neck or nothing like that. I'm a corny dude. Like, quick background, I'm, I, I joke, my family and I, we joke around about this. I, my parents are from West Africa. I'm okay. first generation born here in America, born here in LA. So we, wait, if you flip the coin, no matter which side of it, we're all, Af we're African American on both sides. My parents are Africans who became American citizens, and I'm an African born in America. Point blank, okay. you know, in terms of just putting that out there. So we just joke around about it. But, you know, I'm corny. I'm, I'm a corny, sarcastic dude, you know. And so that's my personality. Ain't nothing me. wrong with that. Yeah, people know me. I have some friends who call me Mr. Know-it-all because I get useless random trivia stuck in my head. Like, <laughs> and maybe, you know, it, you would think that would help me. I've been on um, five game shows and I've been the runner-up on five game shows. You know, you know so although you get used to random trivia, it doesn't always work. <laughs> You know where the useless trivia comes in handy? Where's that? Shows like this. Hey. When you're when you're hosting and somebody is struggling to find something, they're like, "Oh, that one thing, that one thing," and you're like, "Um, you're looking for Adam West, uh, something <laughs> yeah. like that." Yeah. So. And actually, that's happened a whole lot. Um, I can remember one random thing. Um, I Patricia Heaton from Everybody Loves Raymond. Um. Yeah. She was hosting a book signing for a friend of hers, and we were doing the red carpet for it. And one of the guys who was on the red carpet, I instantly recognized him. But I am instantly, I recognize him from Everybody Loves Raymond, and also knowing him as a writer for the show, I recognize him from the hosting a Nickelodeon game show back in the '90s called Make the Grade. Okay. And so I immediately said, before we even did the interview, I, I asked him. You supposed to make the grade, didn't you? And he looked at me and laughed so hard that he hasn't heard anybody ask him about that in years. <laughs> and so when we did the intro, I put myself out there. I said, hey, everybody, for all y'all kids who say you watch Nickelodeon, this is when I grew up watching Nickelodeon. This man hosted one of the lesser-known game shows on Nickelodeon, but it was a very popular one. It was very educational, very fun, and I think he was the best of the two hosts on that show, make the grade and introduce them. And he's you know, we talked about that, laughed about that. He told me some of the stuff about the show. And then, of course, we went and talked about Raymond and then the book signing and everything else. All right, all right, right. So, right but using that use of random trivia that was in my head, it kind of diffused that whole generic interview and it allowed him to relax, actually. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it lets him know that you know him for something else than just what he's there for, too, which is kind of kind of nice in a way as mm -hmm. well. But I have one more question for you. But first, uh, where can people find you on the interwebs or uh, social media, stuff like that? Well, for all y'all young people, for you know, to find me on the worldwide inter-online America, you know, um, places. AOL, right? <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> Um, you can find me. Uh, I swear, I still remember my old, my very first email from AOL. <laughs> Thinking about that now. Um, yeah, mine was just my name at AOL, uh, so that's not too hard. This was back in high school, and I was and I was in band, and I was a tuba player. So it was too bad for you, cuz at AOL.com, and it was spelled tuba, because that's why I played. 
the letter, the small letter D, the number four, the letter U, and then C-U-Z at AOL.com. I mean, that's what you're going to get for a 13-year-old kid. But, nice. Nice know? work there. Nice work there. All right. So in in, in 2017, <laughs> where can people get a hold of you? <laughs> Basically, in 2017, you know, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I say I say it all the time. You can follow my fit, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Mr. H. Parkhole. That's M-R. H R C O L E, and then okay. you can find uh, most of our stuff as well on Facebook and YouTube at facebook.com and youtube.com slash Indie Spotlight. That's I N D S P O T L I G H T. There's no I E. It's I N capital D S P O T L I G H T. So you find Indie Spotlight, you find us. All right, cool. And if uh, you send me that link, I'll put it in the show notes so everybody can find it there and contact you easily and let them know that you heard them here on Uncontained. And I do have that one final question for you, Mr. H.R. Cole at at FIT, right? (laughs) (laughs) Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right. I haven't quite heard it put that way, but I'll remember that. Um, So my final question, it's a title question of the show, and it has nothing to do with vagina hands. (laughs) Uh, You know what? Just for the sake of it, I'm going to answer this question with that with that position in my hands. Okay, I'm I'm holding you to that. Oh, I'm doing it right now. (laughs) Just look for the light flashing. (laughs) All right, sounds good. Sounds good. So, HR, how do you live uncontained? See, I live up contained literally by going after my dream, point blank. No matter what, I've heard people tell me they see me more as a producer. They see me more as a videographer. They see me more as this or that. They see me in their own bubble, and I don't see myself in that bubble. I have a dream that I've always wanted to pursue since I was a kid. So in terms of, it's, it's corny as it sounds, never stop chasing your dreams because you never know. You might actually do it, and... I'm actually doing it, which is kind of funny. I'm going to reach that milestone in the game show, but you don't fall into anybody's bubble. If you say that you're an actor and you say you're a dramatic actor, work on that crap. If you say you're a singer and you perform in different genres, then do different genres. Don't stick to one. You're most talented like that. You're very eclectic. If you're a podcaster, if you're a radio host, and you have a show that you think is going to reach people, but all these major stations aren't going to do it, then put your stuff out there and then promote. And no matter what, put your stuff, put yourself out there. I'm not saying put yourself out there to embarrass yourself. Put yourself out there. Make sure that people get a chance to see what you're about. See your talent. See your vision. And see your heart and see your passion. That's how I'm living this way. I'm not going to let anybody stop me from doing that. And I will be hosting a game show sometime soon. I will be yeah. hosting, you know, any phone monthly, maybe on a network sometime soon. It's gonna happen. And when it happens, you can you can say basically the first time you heard me actually record and say it's gonna happen, you, you heard it right here, uncontained, all uncontained. And when it happens, can I be a contestant on the game show? As long as it's legally viable. Hell yeah. In fact, before you contest it, we're going to have to get you over on our show too, man. Because definitely, I want, to get, I want everybody to get a chance on Moonfields Monthly. Of course, True Club, which you guys can find three episodes on YouTube at youtube.com slash Um, You can actually, I want the people on that show to get to know all aspects of the world of independent entertainment. So definitely want to That'd be awesome, dude. Yeah, That'd be awesome. And I'd be honored to come on your show. Um, I have one final thing for you to do okay. uh, before we get out of here. But first, I want to thank you for coming on again and spending some time talking to me and uh, going in depth on game shows. I learned some things today. I did not know Wink Martindale was a crooner. Yeah, he was a crooner. Yeah. So like, you learn something new every day, especially when you do a podcast. And will you do me the honor? of signing off the show for me tonight hr all right wow how can, how can i sign off the show for you what's the best I, way to say the fact that me hr cole who i make sure that i put the spotlight in the world of independent entertainment on indie spotlight productions on indie films monthly can't be contained because i live life 
Uncontained. And that wraps up today's episode of Uncontained. Thank you to HR Cole for stopping in and talking with me. And thank you for listening. Please uh, support the show by sharing it with a friend. That's the main thing that you can do to help support the show. Share with a friend. Reviews and ratings are nice, but, you know, the more people who listen to it, the better it will be. So please just share with a friend. Check out my Facebook page that you can find at Uncontained Pod on Facebook. Also on Twitter at Uncontained Pod and on the World Wide Web at UncontainedPod.com. So check us out. Look in the show notes for all of HR's contacts and let them know that you heard them here right here on Uncontained. Thank you very much for your continued listening support. And until next time, live uncontained.